Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Sporting Goss with Tim Gossage. Hello everyone and welcome. This is Sporting Goss on this holiday Monday, WA Day. Thank you for listening to our radio station. And may I say, incredibly overwhelmed by how many people listened to SEN Stadium last night. Play by play, no delay. Paul Hazeby and myself bringing you the action. And boy, it didn't have some action last night. Fremantle unfortunately hit hard by injury. Was disappointed with some of the crowd behaviour towards Hayden Crozier at times. Thought it was a bit unnecessary. I know a number of you on social media have said they didn't. you didn't hear anything from where you were seated. Well, I don't know how you didn't hear it because it was pretty damn obvious through our effects, Mike, and certainly was inundated with calls and texts uh, to our station, of course. But Hayden Crozier played through it and played in a winning team. The move uh, to the Bulldogs has been a huge success for him. He, and as Paul Hazelby said, who's a former Fremantle great, he was played out of position uh, for his time at Fremantle been given a second chance in this in the system and has been absolutely sensational down back for the Western Bulldogs. So uh, I suppose he walks away, one with the points and two with the fact is that his team will be a premiership contender. But Frio fans, love to get your feedback. I thought Caleb Sarong was outstanding last night. He just mixed it up with the bigger bodies. He took on Liberatore, he took on McRae, he took on Bontempelli, and he's only little in stature, but boy, has he got a big heart. And I thought Josh Tracy also showed some really, really good signs. But the injury toll is massive. Keep an ear and an eye out on SEN and, of course, the Fremantle website too, because that will be a big story. What will happen with Nat Fife? What's going to happen with Brennan Cox? Sean Darcy, Mitch Croden also did a shoulder. Griffin Lowe got knocked out. Matt Tabiner was a late withdrawal, of course, as well. Where to now? They take the Gold Coast Suns on back here in at the stadium, of course, this weekend. Two games back-to-back here. The Eagles, of course, are home to Richmond. Interesting move by Richmond. They've won the Dreamtime game and got on a plane and went back to Sydney. Just get a bit more freedom in the streets when they're not playing. Uh, so uh, that's the reason behind that. But again... Love to get your feedback. 13, 12, 55. The good, the bad, the ugly from the weekend. Frio fans, what's riling you? What are you angry about today? West Coast fans, are you satisfied with your team's performance against Carlton? And if you don't barrack for either of those two teams, tell us who you do barrack for and what's pleased you over the weekend or what's got under your skin. 0487 736 736. But don't forget, feedback is good. Constructive feedback is good. You can park the abuse. We'll just go with feedback. Five past ten, Sporting Goss. You're listening to it on SEN Spirit 621. Hello to everyone in the Southwest and on the SEN app as well. Matthew Pavlich was very strong on Gillian Goss this morning. He was talking about all things Fremantle, all things Richmond and Essendon, the Dreamtime game. And also he was talking very much about the West Coast Eagles. But Justin Longmuir spoke, of course, post-game, and he is the coach of the Fremantle Football Club. This covered off all things about the performance last night, in particular the bad run of injuries. Here's Justin Longmuir post-game after last night's disappointing night. Not so much effort, but the end result and also the injury toll. The coach of the Dockers. 
Well, I thought we were slow to start again, um, but then once we got into the game, I thought it was pretty even. Uh, uh, second quarter, we didn't use the ball well for to centre. Um, thought we that which didn't allow us to defend behind our ball movement. I thought there was times we could have used changed angles a little bit more, but we played in straight lines, which um, didn't allow us to score and didn't allow us to defend behind it. But we, I thought we fixed that at um, uh, half time. I thought our third quarter was really strong. Uh, I thought we put enormous amount of pressure on them, played the game in the right areas of the ground for us, and had our had our chances to um, you know be closer or you know even hit the front at some stage. So uh, yeah, and obviously at three quarter time we were we thought we were in with a real show, and yeah, the last quarter was a bit of carnage, obviously. So um, I thought we fought it out to the end, but you know through that period of time when we just lost so many players, it. Yeah, it was a bit of chaos. Yeah, I'll, I'll just take you through the, the players and if you can just give us a bit of an update. First four or five, how bad does that shoulder look? Well, he's going to have to get it scanned. Um, I think it's positive that it popped back in on the field. Uh, yeah, obviously dislocated his shoulder, so we'll have to get a scan and see how bad it is. Um, yeah, it's, I can't put a time frame or anything like that, or anything like that on it yet. I think it's the same one he had a reconstruction on. Is, is that your understanding as well? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. The, the doctors, I think the doctors mentioned it, and I forgot. So <laughs> we'll, um, yeah, we'll just have to, we'll, 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 um, yeah, update everyone when we get a bit more um, detail through. And Logue? Concussion. Cox? Uh, yeah, he did his hammy. Um, doesn't look, doesn't look positive at this stage, unfortunately. So yeah, we'll get it scanned, but yeah, it looks high grade. So do you fear tendon sort of stuff when you say doesn't look positive in high grade? Yep. So that yep. could be season ending for him potentially. Oh, potentially, yeah. but uh, we don't need to go there just yet. We'll um, get it scanned and update you all. Darcy, does that look more like a normal hamstring? Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, definitely looks like a hamstring strain. So we'll just have to get it scanned. Um, yeah, and we'll update you again. And Croton landed a bit awkwardly in the last couple of minutes and was holding his shoulder at the end. Is he okay with that? Uh, AC joint. Um, he's a bit sore, but, yeah, we think it's just a, a normal AC joint um, at this stage. But, yeah, we'll have to get him scanned as well. And how close was Tabana? Um, he was close. Just probably thought that um, at training yesterday, he wasn't 100% comfortable. And, uh, yeah, we just probably went the conservative approach, um, knowing that if we had it played him and he re-injured it, it could have been worse. So decided just to give him another week. He, he was probably he could probably get to about 80%. So that just yeah, it wasn't worth taking the risk. Um, he's such an important player for us. And, yeah, we didn't, we didn't want to put him at any further risk. So are you legitimately facing a challenge next week, potentially to pick 22 plus four emergencies? Uh, no, no, we'll be, we'll be right. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, we might be a little bit thin um, in the emergency department, but yeah, it's a big hit. Um, you know, some, you know, Fifey might get some good news. Um, so I've still got my fingers crossed on a few of our players, but yeah, we'll definitely, you know, have three, three or four changes. So, um, you know, we had some good performances at Peel. Uh, we feel like, you know, Miki's in good form um, at Peel. So we're going to have to change the team up a little bit, but it's not, not that dire. 
Justin Longmuir trying to remain positive. And uh, one thing's for sure, you know you're going to get bang for your buck when uh, Justin Longmuir, he calls it how it is. He calls a spade a spade. He's honest in his assessment of his team's performance and he was honest last night. The injuries are hurting, but he's confident he's got the playing group behind him to uh, uh, make up the numbers uh, against the Gold Coast Suns. Thanks to Scott on the text, 0487 736 736. How good did the Bombers found, uh, sound, fans sound on Saturday night? Was as loud as anywhere in Melbourne. They were loud. They were loud, especially when they got on that wrong, those first four goals of the last quarter. But as Matthew Pavlich said, they got in front too early. That was the biggest problem. You knew Richmond were going to come. Adam, good on you, Scott. Thank you for listening to our show. 0487 736 736. I know there's a lot of Frio fans out there. They've been very, very active on social media, following us on SENWA, following, well, I've blocked a lot of them on uh, my own personal Twitter. <laughs> the abuse is a little bit over the top. Come on, calm down. You don't have to get personal. Anyway, uh, if you are a, a Dockers fan, love to hear your voice on the radio. You know, a lot of uh, people who are on Twitter, it's easy just to message, but love to hear you and you'd love to get your voice on the radio and hear you, of course, beat your chest about your team's gutsy performance. Because I thought it was pretty gutsy last night. I, you know, they were beaten and they were beaten quite easily, really. I think the Dogs probably should have won by more. But I do think it was a, still a, some, a fair bit of upside. Brayshaw, outstanding again. I thought Sarong really uh, put the shoulder to the wheel. And I certainly thought uh, Josh Tracy add something up forward. 0487 736 736. Matthew Pavlich was on Gillian Goss this morning. Started off by asking... Uh, Pav, just in regards to the craziness of those injuries in the last quarter, 90 seconds like we've never seen before. Here's Pav from Gillian Goss. No, look, it was crazy, wasn't it? He, he's right, Justin. I'm sure it was absolute chaos. Mm. I was working the boundary with Fox and it was hard to keep up, Goss, with mm. how much was going on. Um, the, the Nathan Wilson incident basically kind of set it off where he had a bit of a brain fade there with uh, Cody Waitman. He goes down, the 50-metre penalty kicks the goal, and then the next set of bounce, um, uh, the ball goes forward, uh, and that fires into his shoulder. Brennan Cox then um, does his, which looks like a, a hamstring tendon injury. And meanwhile, Sean Darcy is off getting his hamstring checked, and, and Griffin Lake goes off late in that third quarter. It was chaos. It was mayhem. Um, and the Dockers, look, to their credit, a lot of the stats last night were uh, even, if not in their favour, in terms of clearances inside 50s contested possession so it shows you know this is a young team still with every chance of uh, really challenging for the rest of this year and certainly building towards next but it was absolute carnage and uh, it's it's really distressing for Frio fans because uh, a lot has gone right this year but at, at five and seven uh, with one more game before the bye it's uh, it's a challenge to see them um, with all those players significantly injured, uh, you know, really challenging for, for the back half of the year. Uh, Nat Fife one was interesting. I had the binoculars on him, calling it, uh, of course, uh, for SEN and, and AFL Nation. And I saw him, so he was in pain. The trainer came out, and then he was coming off, and he was holding it. And almost, it just clicked into spot as he was coming off the ground. Is it the one that he's had reconstructed? And from, uh, you're not a doctor, and I get all that, and Fremantle trying to remain positive. But you would be... Hard pressed to imagine he'd be back against the Gold Coast Suns, surely. So, yeah, my understanding is it's his right shoulder where he's had some uh, concerns with the past. And, yeah, one of the, um, I Nathan's had a number of surgeries, I think, across his shoulders and certainly he's had uh, uh, that one uh, repaired. Um, having 
similar shoulder issues um, and having um, a, a shoulder reconstruction, sometimes you know they can kind of sublux and go back in, um, which isn't a great thing after the surgery. But um, look, it's one of those ones where maybe he could push on and play. Um, he'll play with some discomfort and he, ha- he plays at risk of um, you know further damage. But it, it, it's not something you can't play with. So you heard Justin Longmuir speaking quite positively about it. He'll have a scan today. They'll look at it and see what his strengths like. If um, the people watching the game um, at home, you would have seen him on the on the bench doing some sort of external internal rotation with the doctor, um, testing his strength. Uh, and clearly, he was in pain. Uh, but you can play with that pain. It's about the strength. So, can you push through? Uh, is the strength okay? Will he do further damage? We'll find out in the next couple of days. But uh, yeah, disappointing because um, his third quarter, Nathan Five PSA, he didn't he didn't start the game. That well, Marcus Bontempelli and a few of the Bulldogs mids were right on top. But his third quarter was one reason why the Dockers got back into the game and really was threatening. But uh, it was a pivotal moment when the skipper went down. Think you've got to remember his leadership on the field as well. But it's not all doom and gloom. Josh Tracy, he stood up. The Kahuna boy, three goals, one. <laughs> Absence of Matty Taberner, not back from that ankle. That must be promising signs for the youngster, 19 years old. The big kahuna, yeah, he played very well. He's, um, it's surprising that this young player sort of got through to the rookie draft and then Frio, you know, snapped him up because uh, he, he looks like a genuine forward that leads strongly at the ball. Um, look, possibly there's some limitations uh, on him in, in terms of what he did in the juniors, but he looks a real player. It's a great find from Frio. They've worked through um, you know some of his aggression and uh, and sort of harnessing that towards leading hard of the ball carrier, um, you know, presenting strongly, and then uh, a couple of his you know, big goals last night got Fremantle back in the game, and they won at three quarter time. Just the ability to to hold that pressure, take the mm-hmm. moment, and, and slot it. Uh, he, he looks like a real player, and you're right with that, Matt Tabernar. Uh, in there, he's uh, he's been a fine for the Dockers this year. He has, and you know what he does too, Pav? He kicks drop punts straight at the goals. What's the point? Yes, drop punts. Where's the drop punt gone, Goss? Gone, gone, <laughs> Pav, gone. It's where, Where's where, it where, gone? It's people who say versing and verses against verses. They say versing and they say <laughs> H instead of H. They also try to do bend around the corner goals all the time. That Can is I, So here's me. an example. So we've, of, um, you know, Yesterday morning before the game, we went for our family, uh, Lauren, Harper, Jack and Willie. We went for a bike ride. We met up with the family at the local park and we're kicking the footy. We're playing basketball. We're playing tennis. Sort of, you know, whatever is going uh, and keeping the kids active and running around in the morning. And all the kids wanted to do was kick around the corner, kicking yeah. the footy around the corner. Mm-hmm. And it's like, guys, let's learn the drop punt first before we start doing anything around the corner. It's a, it's a shame because they're obviously picking up on what the players are yeah. doing out there in the AFL. And they're doing it from not big angles. They're doing it from directly in front, yeah. essentially. They're snapping around their body, Rory Lob Rory Lobb was on a 30-degree angle yep. from the centre line, 30 metres out, and he just lacks so much confidence to go back and kick the normal drop punt. It's scary. I think, um, was it... Tom de Buftore in the third quarter when the game was starting to swing a little bit and, and look, Caleb Sarong was doing a great job mm. on uh, on Libertore. He then went across to Marcus Bontempelli and, and, and Libertore kicks two goals in that third quarter. The one that he kicked from the boundary 
a really important goal. That was a drop punt. It was mm-hmm. a drop punt, and it was a hard kick, but there's nothing wrong with kicking a straight drop punt. I'm not sure what's going on uh, with these uh, with these young players who, who see the need to go around the corner. I Frankly, I think it's a bit of a cop-out, you know, not taking the moment. As you said, yep. Josh Tracy goes back and... Um, and kicks a nice drop punt and takes that moment, whereas uh, around the corner, um, it's, it's a bit easy to get away with it. The fallout's going to be huge for Fremantle. They've got the Gold Coast Suns here this weekend. Um, we'll get to the Dreamtime game because I know you worked it as well, yep. Pav, on the on Saturday night. But let's talk about West Coast. Very courageous. Carlton in a world of pain. David Teague looks like he's under pressure. Melbourne is coming for him, the Melbourne media. And when they get you in their sights, it'll be a relief for Nathan Buckley, I'm sure. But bottom line is West Coast incredibly courageous yesterday. And now Fremantle are going to go through the injury pain that West Coast has been going through for the first 11 weeks. So, that was gutsy yesterday. Yeah, look, it was. Um, Carlton, that, that's another story altogether. Yeah. They're in serious uh, strife. But that was one where um, the leaders of that team, whether it was coaches or, or senior players, needed to stand up and, and stamp that game early. And, and to the West Coast credit, um, the Eagles credit, they, they did that. Um, a 22-point win and they head to the bye, um, hopefully with some, some players getting back. Of course, Tim Kelly, Oscar Allen, uh, Josh Kennedy, Luke Shuey, and Jeremy McGovern, their main kind of cohort of, of talent out yesterday. So a really impressive uh, game from then. Also, um, Brendan Archie and Jared Brand are out. So the, their stocks were test. Mm. They, their clearance work yesterday was where they really won it. Um, and you know, credit to, to the likes of Nick Nui and uh, Elliot Yo, the senior team, standing up in there. They, their clearance work was really important and got ground position for West Coast, which uh, allowed them to dictate the game a little bit. And I think on this show, Tim, we've been a little bit critical of Dom Sheed and Tim Gaff, uh, Andrew Gaff, mm. at certain stages of not standing up where some of their senior teammates uh, aren't out there around them to support them. But uh, credit to them, they stood up yesterday and, and were really strong in the contest and allowed West Coast to have 10 more inside 50s and allow um, Liam Ryan to get to work. What a star he was, four goals from 17 disposals. But is he another one that's injured himself? I know he came off late with a bit of a hamstring concern. So more concern there for the Eagles, but they head to the bye in pretty good shape given uh, how many injuries they've had this year. Well, they're not going into that bye, though, Pav. The thing is they've brought the, um, yeah. the Richmond, the game, Richmond forward. game forward. And so that's clearly not playing into the hands of the Eagles. They would have really liked a week off. Conversely... Harry McKay injured for Carlton. They're going on that bye. Injured, he's had concussion, so he's got to take those 12 days. He's going to be back for their next match. The Eagles, I don't. they probably didn't have much say in their bye being moved backwards, I, mean, for, I guess, forwards. No. Well, um, look, it makes sense, doesn't it, from the AFL to, to move that game forward. I think what, what I was trying to allude to is that if they can get to the bye yeah. um, with getting maybe one or two players back, right. I think Josh Kennedy should come back. Uh, Oscar Allen will probably come back given uh, his week off with concussion. So if they can get to the bye, um, I'm a huge game here on Sunday yeah. night uh, against Richmond. But if they can get to the bye in good shape, um, potentially even knocking off Richmond, I thought, that, I thought the Tigers were impressive late, but they were certainly tested by the Bombers. But uh, yeah, if the Eagles can get to you know the break at eight and eight, eight and five, mm-hmm. let's say, or even if it's seven and six, it really allows them to get some cavalry back and uh, aim for a strong pursuit to the finals in the back half of the season.
They'll do it without Brad Shepard because he uh, will go with concussion as well inside the 12-day rule, mm. which is another disappointment. Dreamtime, what a great occasion, Pav, wasn't it? Absolutely spectacular to be involved with that uh, at this ground. And it really does, and it has shown, not that it needed any clarification, that we can <coughs> stage a very big game in WA, and there's a bigger game to come if Victoria doesn't uh, get themselves into gear by the end of the year. Great highlight of um, Indigenous culture and the, you know WA's rich Aboriginal history in our game of football, but also just truly reconciling. Um, uh, you know, the public wanted to to stand up and show their support for our Indigenous population and what it means to a lot of people here in Western Australia. Firstly, so well done to everyone on the long walk. Um, everyone supported that so well. But, but you're right, Tim, it, it highlights what a great venue Optus Stadium is for big games, um, whether it be AFL or any sport. But, um, you know, the people on the East Coast who make these decisions will have been sitting back in their homes because, unfortunately, you can't do much else at the moment. But they would have been sitting back looking at what a spectacular site it was, how many people turned out, 55,000 in attendance, um, and just a great um, yeah, display of what is possible. And you're right, whether or not, let's hope for all our Melbourne people, they come out of lockdown sooner rather than later. But you know, if we're thinking selfishly over here in WA and what it may mean for a grand final, um, I think it highlighted just how well it would be supported and how spectacular it would look if it was hosted here at, uh, at Optus Stadium. Going to speak to the CEO, Mike McKenna, after 7.30 about the logistics and what they got right and what they need to improve on going forward, but uh, certainly put their uh, flag in the ground for possibly a grand final if that becomes available. Don't want to get ahead of the curve too far, and we do hope it's at the MCG, but if it's not, then it would be great to be here. But I still can't work it out. 55,656, yet we were told it was a sellout up to 60,000. Where do those people go? <laughs> I think this all the time. Tim, that was going to be my question to you. I don't know. Is it, um, is it something to do with the corporates? Is it something to do with how many people um, uh, are attending the match in terms of security? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what, what happens with the, the, the 4,500 mm. that don't turn up. That's a good question. Maybe Mike McKenna can answer that one for us. Coming up after the 10.30 news, we'll be hearing from Dylan Main from South Fremantle and Bill Monaghan from East Fremantle ahead of the WA Day long weekend at Frio Derby down there at East Fremantle Oval. And don't forget the Perth Derby's on also as well, East Perth and West Perth being played today, 2.10 start time. Of course, Kane Corns always has a fair bit to say and he has taken aim at Carlton after their disappointing loss to a very much undermanned West Coast Eagles yesterday. If you had said to the Blues fans that at round 12 their season would be finished on the back of the optimism around the pre-season, um, you, you would have fallen off your chair, really. I would have. I thought they'd play finals this year. I had them in my eight. They are season over at round 12. If you look and you go and watch what Melbourne are doing when the opposition have the ball, have a look at how many players, these little things, are pointing, are guarding, are communicating with each other, are jumping around and making it hard for the opposition to transition the ball. Then do that for Carlton. There was a moment in this game, 2 minutes 34 on the clock in the third quarter, Carlton trailed by 8 points and Nick Newman goes back with one of the more inspirational acts that I've seen this year, he puts his body on the line. He falls sickeningly on his neck. 
He's lying there out cold. He's got the physio and the doctors around him. How many Colton players went over there and checked on mm. him if he was okay? N- not one, Gaz. Not one. N- not one player went over. There's a stop in play. He's hobbling to his feet. He's staggering. Play stops, and he didn't have a teammate go and check on him. That that should have been an inspirational lifter for that team in a moment where your season was on the line. They're a selfish group, and, and I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying that at all. They don't buy in to what makes footy clubs great. WA Day, long weekend in WA. That means we've got waffle football and two games being played today. Liddleville Oval, of course, at 10 past two. It is East Perth and West Perth. And the big one down at Frio, down at New Choice Homes Park, down at East Fremantle Oval. It is East Fremantle hosting South Fremantle. Dylan Main from the Bulldogs has been kind enough to join us on game day. Appreciate your time, mate. You're pretty pumped for this. Hey, Tim, how are you? Yeah, um... Super excited for those game the derbies. There's always a bit of extra spice to them, so no, I can't wait. Well, at the moment, we're looking out the window, blue sky, and it uh, looks like a, a fine day. looks like the worst of the weather may have gone through, so it's no excuses type of weather for good footy. Yeah, it is. I mean, the last two weekends haven't been great. Yesterday probably wasn't looking that promising either, so no, glad it's cleared up, and I think it will... It will give um, for a good brand of footy on both sides. So, like I said, super excited. Hopefully we can get a good crowd down there and, yeah, see what happens. Yeah, let's hope there is a, a big Frio contingent of fans down there. There always it normally is. Now, interesting enough, let's take a look at, uh, and we can't really, want, don't want to wind the clock back too much, but you haven't had too many problems with East Fremantle over the journey in more recent years. Last year, 18-8 to 3-3. Probably the close one of that was in 2019 in one of those 16-7 to 10-11. But there's been uh, a 19-12 to 5-5. There's been a 23-11 to 5-6. There's been an 18-13 to 7-6. But they have improved. That that's one thing I'm sure Todd Curley and your uh, teammates are aware of. This East Fremantle team that you're going to meet this afternoon is better than the one you've met over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, we've had a pretty good run, like you said, but they've definitely had a good start to the year. Um, they've got a pretty good list as well down there, pretty talented. So I think they're building something pretty well down there at the moment. Um, mm. Like I said, had a good start to the year. So, I mean... There's never an easy game in the waffle, and we're definitely not taking it that way. So, boys, are heads down, bumped up uh, this week at training, and hopefully, yeah, we can get one over them again. Are you surprised that uh, Matt Parker was picked up by Richmond? Obviously, you're disappointed that you've lost a player of his class, but are you pleased that he's getting another crack? Yeah, 100%. Um, it's great for him. He's been really good for us uh, since he's come back from the Saints. Um, previously, when he left us, he was sort of that shy kid that was sort of going about his own business and then when he came back from the Saints he came back as a totally different person um, he was in our leadership group uh, he was helping out all the younger guys um, and his footy had definitely improved even more so uh, huge result for him so congrats to him and we had a few other boys that were potentially getting picked up too so obviously that means we don't have him this week but we feel that we have players that can fill that void and and probably produce what he did as well. So he's had a good start to the year, so he's definitely going to be missed, though. Uh, you you weren't all that impressive against East Perth. And, and, look, a win's a win, and you take it in a very condensed competition, and there's not a huge gap between first and about sixth. You weren't great against East Perth. You dropped the game to Perth. You have one dominant quarter against West Coast. Where do you reckon you're at as a football team right now, South Fremantle, and, and, and where do you want to be in regards to you know, the, at this stage of the season? Yeah, I mean, we're 
definitely not playing our best win at the moment. We'll be the first ones to say that. Um, and it's obviously, obviously shown with a few of the results. And I think a few of the wins have just purely come on the talent of the team and not necessarily the way we're playing. So um, we've been trying to focus on that. And the boys are getting a little bit frustrated with that because we know we can play better. So I think we're just trying to get back to enjoying it, um, back to the basics. Uh, but I suppose the good thing is it's only early in the year too. So happy to sort of have those little slumps early on and hopefully I think we can build on. Like you said last week, we had a, a good start to the Eagles um, and then I think we, as long as we can just keep building from that, um, it should all come but in saying that as well, it, it requires hard work and I think the boys are down for it but definitely not playing the best we can at the moment, that's for sure. Dylan Main, our guest on Sporting Goss here on SENWA, ahead of the big Frio Derby today against East Fremantle. Get down to East Fremantle Oval, New Choice Homes Park, and the game goes at 10 past two. The other game today is East Perth versus West Perth. How do you go with a Monday fixture, mate? We know fitting in work and the like. We know that Subiaco and Perth played Thursday night. It's certainly an elongated round of fixtures, is it not? Um, On a very big week for WA football with the Dreamtime game and a game there yesterday. Um, How do you go having to wait around until Monday? Yeah, it draws out a fair bit. Blokes are still working, working full-time. Um, so we'll be off to work tomorrow morning. But like I said, it's always good playing in the derbies. Normally we get a pretty good crowd down there. So mm. excited for that that side of things. But just means going to be probably hobbling around at work tomorrow. But, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we take the good with the bad. And I think we play Sunday next week. So we get that mm. extra extra day's break and then the bye after that. So it all kind of works out. It does. Mate, good luck. Thanks for taking our phone call on game day, mate. Really appreciate it. Let's hope there is a good turnout down there too uh, today. As I mentioned, the weather is absolutely brilliant and people are looking for something to do on WA Day. Enjoy it and let's hope the Frio Derby lives up to its reputation. Perfect. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Good on you, mate. There's Dylan Main from the South Fremantle Football Club. They're going to be a big player in this competition, no doubt about that. Get down there. Ten past two is the bounce between East Fremantle and South Fremantle. We'll be back with plenty more on this Monday edition of the Sporting Goss. Spoken to Dylan Main from the South Fremantle Football Club ahead of the Big Frio Derby today at New Choice Homes Park, the home of the Mighty Sharks, and their coach Bill Monahan has been kind enough to join us on game day as well. No excuses, Bill. Beautiful weather, big crowd, and a very gettable game for the Mighty Sharks. Yeah, good day, Goss. It is really looking forward to it. Um, you know, we couldn't ask for a better day. Todd Chimmins already out there counting the cash from all the, the people who are going through, and um, which is great. Look, it's a big day for the East Fremantle Footy Club, you know, yeah. Fremantle Derbies, um, exciting time on WA Day. So what we've got to do as a, as a team is actually play our part, which we haven't done for a few years. So um, really looking forward to it, and, and the players are primed and, and ready to go. I mentioned to Dylan Main some of the results have been horrific for East Fremantle. We haven't really hit the scoreboard at all in, I reckon, four of the last five of these derbies. I mean, you can't undo that, and I know we've had this conversation before that it is a very different-looking East Fremantle Sharks team, and, and I don't think South Fremantle are really at the peak of their powers at the moment either. So you are in a position to improve on that, but improving and having an honourable loss is one thing. You need to win. Oh, very much so, um, Tim. Look, we're, that's what we're planning to do. Look, we're, we're moving in the right direction, um, but at the end of the day, it's a business about winning. And, and 
over my time and, and, and the time before that, we haven't won enough. And, and in derbies in particular, not only have we not won, we've been extremely poor. But um, we can't control that now. It's, it's looking forward. And, and what we tell our players is that control what we can control and we throw out all these cliches but you know we just need to attack every contest like it's our last um, and and put in a really good effort and, and test out from Andal and hopefully win enough ball that you know we can get down the other end and, and put some scoreboard pressure on which as you said if you, if you look at the results we just haven't been able to do that especially early in games Where do you win it? Where can you win it? What are you uh, looking forward to from your group? What has been the, the messaging to the playing group this week? in regards to structure and how you go about it? I think most games are won and lost in the midfield and, and South have got a, a really good midfield. Um, contested ball and clearance numbers have a big um, impact on on territory and all of that stuff. So that's that's what we're aiming to do. Um, we think that we've got enough weapons up forward um, without going into it in great detail. South from Mandel are, are a really good side at dropping off across half-back. Um, you know, and then they brought in a couple of other players. Yes, no blame Wilson today, but um, and I'll probably get his name wrong. The, the kid from Geelong, and I really struggle with it, but I think yeah, that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he he's he's been really good. You know, Strom, um, Pearson across halfback, Rioli. So we we probably just need to use the ball a little bit better going into forward fifty, um, hit up um, some free targets, and and not bomb away and let them drop off halfback and generate their running game. Um, but you know, keep it out of their forward line would be it would be a help. Are you happy with the your output though? As in general, take away South Fremantle, take away the opposition. Are you feeling like you are starting to make inroads to being a better football club? Yeah, I, definitely we are. But it, it's a hard sell when you know we've probably played four bad quarters of footy for the year. Um, if you had said to me seven or eight weeks ago, Bill, you'd get to the WA Derby and you only played four bad quarters, I'd be going, well, I'm pretty happy with that. Um, mm. Unfortunately, they're horrific quarters and we've been outscored um, by a big margin. So, you know, we're a developing team. We're trying to um, you get our own brand and establish what we're about. And for the best part, we've done that. Um, but supporters and, and board members and 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 everyone media they look at the result and we're three and four which isn't good enough so we've got to get on the uh, other side of that ledger and start winning some more games you will jump into the top uh five at the expense of perth you'll jump over the top of peel if you win you've got a very very good percentage or a better percentage than perth uh in particular so i mean there's a bit to play for i know you know the finals aren't played at this time of year but that would give you incentive won't you flick over the top and and get yourself into the top part of the draw i mean that all also will breed some confidence. Exactly right, Tim. That's what we're planning to do. Um, we want to play finals footy. We want to play regular final finals footy over a, a long period of time. But these are the games that, you know, in the past we haven't been able to win and we have to start winning these types of games if, if we're going to be serious contenders. And, you know, the outcome for this week, whilst it's not the end of the penny section if we if we don't win, you know, a place in the top um, five and, and we can really set ourselves up for the second half of the year. So hopefully the players will... will 
bring their A grade, their A game, um, mm-hmm. and, and we'll attack South Ramon with everything we've got. Very much so. It's a huge game, mate. Really appreciate you taking our call on this WA day, mate. And all the very best. Should be a great crowd. No excuses to get down there and support uh, the Fremantle combinations down at East Fremantle and South Fremantle. If you're a Fremantle Dockers fan and you're searching for a win, it might be today when you go back to a grassroots waffle footy. And let's hope there's a win for you there. Good on you, mate. Appreciate your time. Good luck today. No worries, guys. Thanks a lot. He's a good man, Billy Monaghan. He is the coach of East Fremantle. It is a huge game of down there. It's also a huge game for East Perth and West Perth. This is Sporting Goss. It's time like this. Welcome back. It's coming up eight minutes away from 11 o'clock. In fact, seven minutes to 11 o'clock. Got a new clock here. It just takes me time to read it. It's got the old-fashioned hand, you know, the hands that click around. I look at those because that's what I prefer. But then I look below it and it says 10.53. So the hands are telling me you're fibbers. Uh, don't forget, you can always get in touch with us. Uh, 0487 736 736. But inundated today by love from the Fremantle fans. <laughs> Come on. Ease up, you people. I can't kick it straight for you. I'm not Rory Lobb. It's not my fault. I didn't get injured. It's not my fault all your blokes, you know, you don't have the depth. Seriously. I'm a big fan of Justin Longman. In fact, I tipped Fremantle on the big screen yesterday. Paul Hazelby, he went for Fremantle by a point. Then he walked away and said, I hope they didn't notice I tipped the Bulldogs to win by 33 somewhere else. Anyway, seriously. Everyone just needs to chillax. Adam Simpson and David King spoke, of course. Uh, David King spoke about Carlton's performance on Waitley this morning. We'll hear from David King and then we'll hear from Adam Simpson in the lead up to our 11 o'clock news. This is not a David Teague discussion. This is a full club discussion. So I don't think they're fit enough and the numbers tell us that. So you can argue it if you want, but you want to bring a good set of numbers because you're last in the competition for scores in time on. Your list management now is under real is under real heat, real heat, because you've given up – anytime you give up a first-round pick to bring players in that don't deliver absolutely what you need, you, you invite this. Um, so so I, I, who, who makes all these decisions? Who's in charge of all of this? Is it, is, is it Russell? Is it Lloyd? Well, where are they? Where are they today? So, so it's all well and good to come firing bullets over the last couple of weeks when things don't suit you. But right now, your football club is under enormous pressure, and your coach couldn't be in couldn't be in more hot water if he tried. And I don't think he's getting the support. So you can sack David Teague and then have the they've had six coaches since the year two thousand. Six coaches in twenty years. So you can just keep sacking coaches. You can keep doing that, or you can work out, and I say this every year, you can work out where you're at as a footy club and make the correct decisions and and, re, and build, because they were building beautifully. I like their list build. Since they got the the, the key pillars in Mackay and Kerno in the one draft and Weedering in the one draft, what has gone wrong? Uh, Sam Walsh worked his tail off yesterday. There's so many good things. That, I thought Paddy Dow was okay. There were so many good things. I think Owie's going to be a you – know, he, he's someone to continue with and see where you can go with him. Zach Fisher had a huge impact as a half-forward. They'll probably move him from half-forward. He's a half-forward flanker. He's an all-Australian calibre half-forward flanker. They'll probably try and get more out of him, put him in the midfield or elevate him to a role that makes him incompetent. Just 
find the pieces. I, I just, I'm just frustrated for for Carlton as a footy club because we all sort of. I mean, I, I do. I, I know. I don't think you're on this actually. Let me let me correct that. I think the AF, the AFL desperately needs Carlton to be strong. It's a different. It's a different competition when Essendon, Carlton, Richmond, Collingwood, the big the big clubs are up. You know, West Coast we need strong. We need Adelaide to be strong again. You know, we, we, the the competition is really good when Sydney are strong. So we need the big powerful clubs to be strong. And Carlton, they've been nowhere for so long. I thought this was their one chance, but it looks like the 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 lack of defensive integrity, the lack of genuine buy-in as a group. Is, is, is all going to just be simply too much for this football club? Um, we were building towards a, a game where we could really dig in and make our supporters proud. So we've been a little bit inconsistent this year. But tonight we're down on numbers. Um, I like every club, but yeah, we're missing a, you know, a few pretty good players. But the young kids stood up, but our leaders were exceptional. And our captain, Nick, um, first time as captain and you know, right through the lines with Gaff and Sheed and Yo and then Barass and Hearn and um, Jack Darling. So those type of guys, so as much as we're missing some players, we've still got some really good leaders in the side and I thought they stood up today. You touched on Nick, obviously, as you say, first time captain, but really gave your first use in the in the clearances. And... Uh, yeah, and sometimes we don't get bang for buck with, with supply and, you know, obviously Team Scout and, um, and Hunt. Uh, with Nick, but I thought today it was a pretty good arm wrestle. I thought both midfields had dominance in stages, but overall I thought he was probably our best player and gave us supply when we needed it. And then, um, and I thought our kids played their part as well. You know, they all did something special that you know they will remember for a long period of time. Luke Foley, one of them, he had his yeah, first goal in that third quarter. Goal, you know, um, they're the type of things with you know with spirit uh, within the boys that you got to celebrate. So. Yeah, proud of those young fellas. Um, it doesn't get any easier. They've back, got to back it up next week at the Tigers. Did you get the sense pretty early on in the week that that uh, responsibility will sit pretty well with Nick? Oh, I, I think so. I think anyone who takes on the role as a captain feels a sense of responsibility that probably doesn't get matched. So um, I see it with every one of our captains. We've had it's the captain's curse at the moment. I think we've had four or five this year. So, um, yeah, look, I'm not surprised Nick stood up today at all. Um, yeah. Five players with under 10 games experience, that's a very young side to be rolling out. And... Yeah, and all of them, I think, played their part. I mean, Luke Edwards' first game for the footy club, he looks, he's got a really good footy brain and makes really good decisions with it. And the pace of the game didn't seem to worry him too much. And he's only going to get better. Foley had a really good impact. You know, Bailey Williams is battling really hard to try and lock down that second, second ruck forward spot. Um, Harry Edwards, in his third or fourth game, you know, stood up as well. Uh, might have missed one or two others. Xavier. Uh, oh, Xavier O'Neill as well. You know, he's still forging his way through through his career. So we were missing the mid-range players, really. We had some good leaders, but, um, yeah, um, pretty happy with those young fellas. Is that a positive? You can chalk up wins and and get games into young guys like oh, that at the same that. time? That's great, yeah, because mm. we'll obviously list needs to transition and develop the youngsters th- coming through. Um, so we've never went one here for 22 years. So um, that's a good feeling, although it's not against Sydney, but still a win here. So we've got Sydney in a few weeks back here. Um, but no, they should get a lot of confidence out of tonight just with the spirit in which they played in. It's time like this.
Time to talk rugby league with our man Jimmy Smith. Of course, he's from SEN in Sydney and part of our NRL Nation commentary team. Happy WA Day, Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) You people are red hot. Uh, let's hope it's New South Wales Day on Wednesday after the first state of mm. origin. But what, what have you? What have you? You've given yourself a public holiday and just mm. said, "Why?" Well, because we're West Australian. Yeah. yeah well, hey, yeah, okay. and we are COVID-free. <laughs> and we'll be forever more, right? Anything, anything looks like COVID getting across the border, they get shut, right? Correct. Wait. Anyway, that, <laughs> just stay away until you're clean. Hey, mate. Just interesting enough, uh, you talked about the state of origin, which is happening uh, in a couple of days' time. I saw online that up there in the top end of Queensland, you can rent a tent for a couple for 185 bucks a night. How good is this? It's brilliant. <laughs> Well, you know, one of the things that was talked about, uh, or, or sort of wasn't talked about down here in New South Wales when it was the, the Queensland government who got the jump on the New South Wales government and offered up all this money for, for you know, they go up to Townsville, they've got the new stadium up there, um, they've never had an Origin game before, they were, they were very, they're, they're rabid supporters of their Queensland team, we understand that, but the fact that Townsville's been struggling a bit as a city and, and needed a, a little kick along and, you know, these sort of things where, there's no accommodation available. There's, you know, there's no tickets available for the game. That the restaurants and everything will be, be, you know, sold out. Um, house full signs going up, and now, you, now you've got to pay 185 dollars um, for the, the lights <laughs> of a tent. It, you know, it's just a little kick to the economy that the Queensland government would have been looking for, and um, the fact that it gives their rugby league team a massive bonus on the night too <laughs> doesn't go unnoticed. Very much so. Um, a couple of yeah, as you mentioned, a couple of thousand more tickets to go on. So, just tell us a bit about where both teams are at in regards to their preparation. Uh, some blokes got tonsillitis. I read somewhere. Another blokes are feeling unwell. What about the injury toll from the weekend? Because it's quite staggering, isn't it? Where players who step out in state of origin, uh, sort of days ago, are uh, going hammer and tong in for their club teams. It wouldn't happen in any other sport. It's quite amazing how how uh, aggressive and how they go about. It and they play club ball and then play state of origin. Yeah, it was a, it was a little bit unusual. So Reid Marnie got the opportunity to play with the Eels because he was 19th man. He was going to yeah. go back into the squad and he ended up injuring his shoulder in that one. So they've called Ben Hunt, who's played a lot for Queensland previously, played for Australia. So he's got the experience. He's going to go up there as as a shadow. So he sort of he played on Thursday night. So he shadowed for AJ Brimson. There's still a little bit of a concern around him from a a knee injury point of view. Dane Gagai's got tonsillitis. But seriously, Timmy, every year it's something, you know, mystery flu in the Queensland squad in the lead-up to the game. Oh, lo and behold, Dane Gagai or whoever, insert player name here, is miraculously able to recover for the game. Dane Gagai is a dollar one to be playing in this State of Origin game on Wednesday night. Well, who do you think is going to win? A couple of days out. Uh, when you line up all the ducks, Jimmy, who's going to win this first game? New South Wales' back line looks phenomenal, uh, and, and it's a little bit makeshift with no Caelan Ponga there for Queensland. Ballantyne Hans back to fullback. Kyle Felt onto the wing. Um, Kurt Capewell is really a back rower who's going to be doing a job in the centre. So it's a little bit uh, not as settled as the New South Wales side, certainly not as threat, but uh, state of origins aren't won with back lines. 
Timmy. They're one with forward packs and they're one with doing the hard yards and getting out of your own end and, and rolling up the sleeves and doing a job for your team that is not it's not very sexy. Um, it, it goes unnoticed by a lot of people, but certainly not by the coaching staff. So from that point of view, Queensland have got this really good, really agile, um, really powerful forward pack. And the New South Wales forward pack on... I'll put it this way. It's not the forward pack that I would be picking. It, maybe Brad Fittler's you know, ahead of the curve on this one, and I hope he is. But there's a, Cameron Murray's going to be playing on an edge. He's a middle forward. Tarek Sims has not been in great form. There's four guys missing from the side because of different reasons who I think would have been ahead of both those players. I can't believe that Payne Haas is going to be starting from the bench. Uh, get him out there to start the game with Jake Trebojevic. I, I just got some concerns around that. As a result, and the fact that it's being played up in Queensland, Timmy, it it pains me to say it, but I think Queensland are in the stronger position. Wow. How many Broncos are in the team? Uh, Xavier Coates and, well, Xavier Coates for Queensland and Payne Haas for New South Wales. Wow. I remember when the Broncos used to make up three quarters of the bloody Queensland State of Origin team. And, and, and you know what? That says as much about the Queensland State of Origin setup as it does about the Brisbane Broncos, who mm. who really are struggling at the moment. They, they've got a guy that, well, they let go of Dave Fafita, remember? He's in the Queensland squad. He's now playing with the Titans. Um, they, they've let go of Reese Walsh. He's not named in there, but I wouldn't be surprised if Paul Green gets him around the squad at some, at some point. He's now playing for the Warriors. So don't worry. They've come through the system. They just haven't retained them. What about my team, the Storm? Continued on their winning way on Saturday with a 2014 win over the Titans. Had to do it a little bit tougher than a lot of people anticipated. And I don't know how much of the game you saw, but mate, Brandon Smith, who is the fill-in for... Well, he was for Cameron Smith. Now he's the fill-in for Harry Grant in many ways. So he gets the opportunity to start at hooker. And he is just an inspiration to that team. Um, oh, he, he's such an important player. I know that... Craig Bellamy looks like he's going to go around again for the for the next year for the Melbourne Storm. I, I reckon priority number one now from a player point of view is make sure that Brandon Smith stays with that side because I, I don't think they win that game without Brandon Smith and they, they just hung on against the Titans. What about my team, the West Tigers beating the Panthers? First <laughs> loss for the year. How many teams have you got, Timmy? Uh, just whoever's winning. Yeah, fair enough. Fair I'm enough. actually, I like actually, better. when I lived in Sydney, Smithy, when I lived in Sydney in the 80s, I was a um, Belmain supporter. Okay, there you go. Where did you live? I lived in a couple of places. When I first moved over there, I could only afford to live in uh, Marylands. Um, and then I moved over to the uh, to Lane Cove and got held up walking up to the Great Northern Hotel on my way to see the cockroaches uh, who became the Wiggles. Mate, do, do you know that I played a lot of cricket with John Field, who is the lead singer, mm. or the former lead singer of the Cockroaches, and of course brother to Anthony Field, the Blue Wiggle. So there you go. So I, I went to plenty of Cockroaches concerts at the Cock and Bull Hotel at Bondi Junction. I was walking on the Great Northern Highway from Lane Cove up towards Chatswood. I think that's how I think yeah. I that right. Yeah, Marlborough Road, you would have been yeah, going. Yeah, that's it. That's it, Marlborough Road. Yeah. That's the road I lived on. That's exactly it. Yep. Anyway, there and I was go. walking up there and three young fellas were following me at about 20 past five on a Saturday. I was walking up to meet some friends at the pub and uh, they got in front of me, asked me for some cigarettes. I didn't have any. Asked me for some matches. I didn't have any. Then they asked me for some money and I had $70 in one pocket and 20 in the other. I gave him the 20. He held a flick knife to my throat and he said, now give us the rest. And that was my day. Wow. 
Mm. You well, you must have been look like you're a well-to-do sort of bloke too. They pick their mark pretty quickly, you know. Well, they certainly do. <laughs> and yet, you know, I walked around Maryland thinking that the whole world was going to end at various times down there, the Granville Way, <laughs> and I felt 25 times safer than I did on the north side. Yeah, the the, the back streets of Lane Cove or Lana Cove, as we like to call it. <laughs> <laughs> I love my time in Sydney. Tough. I love my time in Sydney. Absolutely great time. I learned a lot over there. I was writing for AAP Reuters at the time and uh, going to Harold Park trots on a Friday night and uh, riding race form and, and going to the Sydney Swans games. Great times. Loved it very, very much. And yeah, and I was a, I was a, a Belmain fan, Gary Jack, uh, the red-headed halfback, Michael Neal. Was that his name? Michael Neal? Correct. Yeah, Paul Sirenen, Blocker Roach. Yeah. yeah. They, were, well, they were my boys. They were my boys times. back then. Yeah. Yeah. Gary Eddie Freeman. Times, Did Gary yeah. Freeman play oh. for my team? I played. I played a couple of years with Gary the Wiz Freeman at the Roosters, where he won a Dally M. But yeah, he was he was the most competitive. I'll tell you what, what Gary the Gary the Wiz Freeman used to do. He used to train on Christmas Day because he said <laughs> no one else is training on Christmas Day, and I'm wow. getting ahead of them. Yeah, yeah. He, he was the, he was almost. The, oh well, I stand corrected on this, and you, you know, being the rugby league of aficionado, he was the first socks down rugby league player I remember. Always had his socks down. Yeah. Always socks down. Absolutely. He was a socks down player. Definitely. Johnny Gibbs was a socks down player before him, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All righty. So the Tigers beat the Panthers, which was the Panthers' first loss for the year. Seven players out with State of Origin. You understand that. But they're a little disappointing, the Panthers. And and your West Tigers, they're they're travelling okay. They've, They've moved themselves up to 10th on the ladder and they're starting to get a bit of momentum. Very good. And what about my eels? Too good for the Knights <laughs> yesterday. Your eels are very, very good. That, I tell you what, they, they have got some massive problems up there, Newcastle. I don't know where the solutions come, but they've got a review. So we're, we put the review under review yesterday and thought, well, what are they going to come up with? And um, Adam O'Brien struggling for answers. No Caelan Ponga, no Mitchell Pearce. Mm. Um, no passion on Old Boys Day. That's the disappointing thing for the Newcastle side and absolutely flogged by by the Eels who needed to bounce back with a win. Yeah, I did hear it was Old Boys Day. I think uh, Johnsy was up there. Did Fletch go up there and have a look-see? Or did I hear Fletch was up that way as well over the weekend? No, I, I don't think Fletch would have been up there. I know there, he didn't play for I know he didn't play for them, but I thought he was up there. I, th- I thought he was going up there to see someone or do something. I've heard him on the radio, but anyway. He's, he's, uh, look, how, who is the best player of all time to have played for Newcastle? Andrew Jones. Second best? Andrew Jones. Uh, second best player in the history of Newcastle. Mm. Chief. Mate, I reckon, uh, oh, Chief, Chief, the one they all follow. They, they love Chief um, uh. and was, of course, a mainstay in the Australian side for a long time. Um, oh, Matty Johns' young bloke was playing his very first game for the Newcastle Knights, third NRL, NRL game in history. Uh, That's in what history. I was so, listening to. No, not, it wasn't yeah. Fletch. It wasn't Fletch. It was Johns. That's right. That's what I was yeah, listening Matty, to. Yeah, so that was great. Great afternoon for the family, given the fact that he and Andrew obviously have a, a great history there, winning that grand final in 1997. Mm, absolutely. Hey, good on you, mate. Uh, enjoy your public holiday over there, and we'll enjoy ours over here. And good luck on Wednesday in the Rugby League State of Origin Game 1. Thanks, Timmy. Be careful on Marlborough Road in future. <laughs> when you have three youngsters following you, cross the road. If they've crossed you over, run.
<laughs> That's what I should have done. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Jimmy Smith from NRL Nation, and of course on SEN in Sydney. If you're there, he's the go-to man, and he's always kind enough to join us on a Monday talking all things NRL. Don't forget Wednesday, the big one, State of Origin one in Queensland. Come on, the mighty Blues. This is the Sporting Gospel. Let's talk Suncorp Super Netball now with Sue Gordian, who, of course, is ensconced in the West Coast fever. But more importantly to me, is all part of the nine Wide World of Sports commentary team for netball in the Super season. We just came off a, a wonderful round of fixtures, which included yet another win. And it was a huge win for the West Coast fever over the top of, of course, the Collingwood Magpies. It was a 23-goal win. Sue Gordian, that was, uh, I think they needed a game where they had a bit of breathing space. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Goss, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's been, whilst Caesar haven't lost a game yet, I don't know that they've walked away comfortably in any game, particularly coming off that Monday night one goal sneak over the Giants. So to get away and actually get a good start, it's the first time they've had a good start quarter one since round one. So it gave them the breathing room and they were able to actually carry that on and hold off. And it's a 23-goal victory in Suncorp mm. Super Netball. It's pretty significant. What was the most pleasing aspect of that win? It looked as though... every I mean, we've seen their close games at home, in particular the ones that I've witnessed, where some players have been down on form and the coach, Stacey Marinkovic, has been forced to swing some changes... But it looked like everyone looked like they were on the same page uh, and it was really just to, to put miles on the legs and look after the playing group rather than take a player out because of poor form. Mate, you should be coaching. That's probably you couldn't have wrapped it up any better. I think first and foremost there was that change in lineup and Sasha Glasgow, as we've seen, come on week in, week out. It's been pretty good, hasn't she? So mm. that was nice to see her get the start and um actually, you know, stood stood tall. But I think what was great was that there was just a real confidence in the starting seven and they got they sort of got the show on the road early and, and were able to hold and sustain that, which is is always tough. When you're out in front, teams come chasing, they're hunted from the next minute. So I thought they were able to sort of, you know, weather any storm. I mean, the third quarter was a little bit off, but they weathered the storm. But as you said, Marinkovic could then rotate the team and we got some legs rested. Janelle Fowler saw her first minutes on the sideline since the start of the season. And also, too, Goss, let's not forget, you know, by the time next round goes where we play the Firebirds, Fever will have played five of their first seven games away from home. Mm. It, that's extraordinary. And knowing that, you know, there was the deficit to start the season, that's a lot of flying miles in the legs in the first half of the season. So I thought it was great to get some rest in the legs of some of the players. It certainly was. And there was also the uh, the fail trip where they all packed up and went to the airport and turned around mm. and came home. So, I mean, the mental planning for that also would have taken a bit out of them for a day or two. Yeah, it's, it's an emotional journey. And, you know, to be honest with you, like, I had a look. I called the Giants-Swiss game on the weekend in Sydney. And, of course, we know the Giants were caught up in the quarantine debacle over here in Perth. They lost that uh, one-goal game to the Fever on Monday night. Joe Hart and Copter slathering in the, in the social media um, mm. hemisphere with regards to that troll. And the way the Giants played this weekend, they looked like the most tired and weathered side. So there's a lot of emotional baggage that teams carry around relative to, you know, what takes place from round to round. And I think Fever have had to wear that since round one. So the fact that we're still being able to tick boxes uh, and play good netball, or even if we're behind, find ways to win, it's, it's a really good sign for the going into the second half of the season in a couple of weeks' time. Swiss won the Sydney Derby 63-51. In Queensland, it was the Firebirds 51 over the Lightning 60. 50, uh, 61 at 52. Were you surprised by that result? Mm. 
Uh, no, actually, you know what? I'm useless at picking winners, but I picked all four this weekend. Oh, so, nice. um, shock me. Yeah, I know. I even, <laughs> I even called the Adelaide Thunderbirds for their first win of the season. Um, listen, I think the five, it's, with this competition, you don't take any team lightly, but I do think certain teams line up better on some teams than others and I've always thought the Firebirds just have a, a way to beat the Lightning so for me I wasn't surprised by that and, and in saying that I actually think the Fever and the Firebirds line up very well so irrespective of ladder position going into round 7 uh, West Coast Fever will have a very very tough ask up against the Firebirds in their home territory this weekend but um, great to see the Adelaide Thunderbirds get a win mate, they've yeah. been working hard the last two weeks, they've been looking good so they get there in the end all right, let's talk about the fixtures that are coming up, and they are through uh, June 12 through June 14. We're talking about Round 7, the Suncourt Super Netball, speaking with Sue Gordian on the Sporting Goss. Giants v Lightning, this game's at Ken Rosewall Arena. You correct me if I'm wrong, That so that game is in Sydney, so there's no games in Melbourne. Is that correct? Or That's correct. So we're just waiting on the league to announce. Yeah. So I would say probably late this afternoon or first thing tomorrow morning, there will be an announcement around the reshuffle of this fixture, okay. and my gut says that we'll see um, the, a double header go into Sydney, and that'll include the Melbourne uh, two teams playing off in their derby. Yep. Um, Fever will still will still play up in in Queensland, and there'll be the Adelaide game. So that'll probably be the way the fixture looks. Yeah, okay. So the Thunderbirds host the Swifts, the Giants and Lightning. Yep. Uh, as you mentioned, the Firebirds and Fever and the Magpies versus the Vixens, that Melbourne fixture, which was down for John Kane Arena, but certainly won't be played in Victoria. Uh, what, what, does, what, what do the Firebirds, uh, Firebirds hold out for the Fever? What, what's one area the Fever would be aware of in regards to trying to beat the Firebirds? Yeah, I think, I mean, look, they've just got a formidable force up there attacking and, and, you know, a lot of teams that come and play against West Coast even know that, you know, we've got that strength in our post in Janil Fowler and, and the Firebirds similarly have Ramelda Aiken. Uh, Gretel Buetta is uh, certainly a... a She's a beast to have to deal with at goal attack. She's just so athletic and so clever. And, and they've, they've troubled us in attack before. So we're, we're going to have to bring our best defensive efforts. And I think where we get the opportunity maybe is to capitalise in our attack. So if we can get the equation right, I think we come out in front. But it's, uh, it's our second longest trip of the year. And as I said, to be doing our fifth road trip, it's no excuse. The Fever will certainly be uh, there to win. But we would, we would have to be bringing our absolute A game to get across the line against the Firebirds. Six out of six so far. Let's hope it's seven out of seven. Appreciate your time, Sue. Always good to chat. Suncorp Super Netball. Good on you, guys. Appreciate it, mate. Sue Gordian joining us, of course, part of the West Coast Fever lineup uh, with the hard work in the coaching and also the back of house work, but also uh, one of the best, if not the best, commentator on Nine's Wide World of Sports. You can catch her work on Telstra TV and or Wide World of Sports. This is the Sporting Goss on a holiday Monday. Happy WA Day. to come after the 11.30 news. Get your pen and paper ready because there is WA Day Racing at Northam today. It's uh, the Sprint Day. Always a big meeting up there in the Avon Valley. And Matt Keenan talking about Richie Port's win overnight as well. Floyd Mayweather is fighting, what's the bloke's name? Logan Paul. Is that it? Logan Paul, some bloke off YouTube. Um... And I think it's got into a seventh round. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm hearing down the line that it's a, <laughs> it's a seventh round. Be nice to see the action, nice to see what's going on. Um, on the text, 0487 736 736. Uh, hi, Tim. Matthew here. 
My question, given the significant number of injuries yesterday, who do you think is ready to step up and come in for five Cox, Logue, Croden and Darcy? Well, they've got to play Pierce. They'll play Bewley. They'll play Meek. And they'll play Weston. There'll be four that'll definitely come into the lineup. Um, And, yeah, unfortunately, they won't have uh, Brennan Cox. I think Brennan Cox might be done for the year if that hamstring is any indication. So they're into the seventh round, Mayweather fighting, um, what's his name? Logan Paul. Is that his name, Logan Paul? Logan Paul. Logan Paul's a giant, and Mayweather's a little fella. Anyway, this is nothing more than an exhibition game, so... At the moment, um, I'm led to believe, looking at socials, that Logan Paul is doing a pretty damn good job. Uh, let's talk about cricket. England offered some stiff resistance, um, but very slow resistance in the final session to secure a draw against New Zealand. Day five of the first test at Lords, having lost three days due to rain, New Zealand skipper Kane Williamson made a bold declaration: six for one sixty-nine set England two seventy-three and seventy-five overs. Many believe that was quite gettable. It was a run rate of three point six, but uh, really Burns and Sibley had no interest at all trying to actually knock off those runs. Michael Vaughan uh, was a little bit disappointed with what, uh, and spoke to Joe Root on the BBC, was a little bit disappointed with England's lack of verve trying to uh, chase down the runs. I think it was disappointing. I, I thought it was a real opportunity for the England side to show a bit more intent. Um, you know, I think the declaration did surprise us all by Kane Williamson at lunchtime. He, he, he wanted to have a go for it. Um, yeah, just a, a little bit busier. I'd, I'd like to have seen the England team. I completely understood the start. You know, you try and see off that new ball, the 15 overs. They did that, Burns and Sibley. I always felt that was going to be the real danger period. Um, from then on, I'd like to have seen just just an up. I'm not saying go to a Sixth, fifth, and sixth gear, but just a little bit busier, just to see if they could have got themselves in a position to uh, have a dip uh, in, in the in the final session. I think it tells us a little bit about the, the kind of mentality uh, in the England side. Uh, disappointing for for many of the fans in the ground. Joe, uh, there were some disappointed listeners. I'll be honest uh, about that this afternoon. How, how do you explain? Uh I don't know, not, no obvious attempt, at least, to at least attempt the target. If you look at the conditions, you look at the surface, it, it was very challenging. Um, it was slow, it was hard to time the ball, and it was hard to sort of get any sort of rhythm when you were batting out there. Of course, yes, you look at the target and, and, and the amount of overs that we did have, but it, it wasn't quite as straightforward as that. Having batted on that wicket first innings, knowing that more time had gone into it, it was always going to be quite difficult. Of course, we'll disappoint quite a few people, but... From our point of view, we're very much in this series. Thank you very much, April Austin. In the SEN newsroom, you're listening to The Sporting Goss. We're here till midday, 10 till 12 every Monday to Thursday. And hopefully, if you miss anything, you can always get onto our SEN app. SEN, of course, uh, SEN WA. And you can download any of our interviews or full of uh, full shows as well. Already we've had Gillian Goss. A minute 40 left in the fight, the exhibition fight between, what's his name, Paul? What's his name? Logan Paul, that's it, Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather. The big man versus the little man, and the big man is uh, surviving. 
One man who's a, a bit, well, he's not a huge man by any stretch of the imagination. He's a former jockey, but he's a leading trainer in WA, and he's making his way to Northam today. It is WA Day racing up there. The main race is the sprint. He's got three runners going around, and he is Jim Taylor, and he's been kind enough to take our call. Currently on the road to Northam, so if it drops out, we do apologise, but let's hope we can keep the line long enough to try and find a winner amongst his three runners today. Jimmy, appreciate your time. How are you going on uh, this public holiday? Good morning, Tim. Very well. Uh, you must be happy. The mighty West Coast Eagles got the job done on the weekend. You would have been a bit nervous yeah. considering they were under, uh, lacking a few troops? Yeah, and our record at uh, the SCG. I was, uh, yeah, a little bit nervous going into the game, but uh, yeah, no, the weekend's good if the football team wins. Uh, you've got one runner going around, 100%. One of your runners goes around in race. You've got two runners going around in race three. One of them does sport the famous West Coast Eagles colours. You've got those uh, nice and early. It goes around. You've got shares in this. Uh, your beautiful wife has got shares in it as well. I'm talking about gold merits. You've got it and Traverne going around. Can you split the two? Uh, yeah, I favour gold merits. Um, just check. Uh, with Lockie, I said, well, "What?" I asked him, "What do you think the danger is to Gold Merits?" And he said, "Traverne." So, um, yeah, both both have probably got some chance. The the favourite is a uh, uh, William Pike mount, and they are uh, obviously sometimes favourite because of well, he's got a his great record, so it might be a little bit under the odds. So ours are probably a little bit of value because of, there's a William Pike mount in it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, can I ask you in regards to the Lactar Ramalee who goes around? He's got the right on gold merits, but of course he's also ridden Traverne. How do you go about allocating jockeys in this? You go with the experienced and one of your good close mates, Jason Brown, who's riding Traverne, and you've got your apprentice going around on gold merits. How did you decide between those two uh, allocations? One horse is over 16 hands and one is about uh, <laughs> under 15 hands. So going around with a lightweight gold merits isn't big. Um, so we yeah decided to go with the lucky with lucky riding it and it's carrying three and a half kilos less than Traverne. So um, yeah, at, at level weights, uh, I'd say Traverne would probably have her, but because of the weight advantage, I'd say Gold Merritt would have the better of him today. All right, and you've also got a filly going around having its first start for you, uh, of course, having its first race start, and that is spin a long time in race four in the program over the thousand metres. Ah, uh, yeah, she's very fast. She's only a two-year-old, so a bit of a disadvantage taking on older horses. But um, she'll come into the race with only 52.5 with her two-year-old allowance and Lucky's claim. So um, it'll probably get her a long way, but I can't see her beating Neville Parnham's horse, Critical Altitude. It's um, been, been against good horses in town on Saturday. So coming back to a maiden, it will be very hard to beat. No doubt about that. How's the stable going at the moment, Jim? You must be pretty pleased with the output, and obviously uh, plenty of wins coming out of the stable. Yeah, going all right. Tim had a couple of winners last week. We haven't got a hay list or barricade in the backyard, but we're always on the lookout <laughs> for one. But um, yeah, they don't come along that often. But um, yeah, they're going. Anything we're racing, are racing honestly. Yeah, very much so. And uh, you must be proud of the, the, the kids, of course, we, as we know, uh, doing some wonderful things. And we've, we've, we've jumped on the Lockie train, of course, as well. But Brit's doing wonderful things, getting plenty of uh, air time and, uh, and doing wonderful things as well. And, and recently engaged, which is great news. You must be very proud. Uh, yeah, they're doing all right. I'm not known as Jim Taylor anymore. I'm Brittany and Lockie's father. <laughs> That's my claim to to fame, so um, no, you're quite happy if your kids are doing all right.
Yeah, they're doing wonderful well. Okay, so the three horses going up there today. Let our punders know on Sporting Goss which way they should be leaning. Just just one out of the three. Gold merits. Nice work wearing the Eagles colours. Eagles fans, there it is for you. Appreciate your time, Jim. We'll chat again soon. Sorry, good, Tim. Thank you. He's a good man, Jim Taylor. In fact, he's an outstanding trainer and a, a wonderful. He's been a, a lifelong supporter of mine in my media time in racing, and I appreciate his time uh, again on the show. Mike from Palmyra, g'day. He's going for East Frio today. Good on you, Mike. Uh, on the tech, 0487 736 736. Great show, says Mike. Unfortunate about Frio and the injuries. However, Josh Tracy looking very promising. Great tackling as well as a good forward option. Yeah, he's good. He's only 19. Paul Hazelby's very much singing his Raises as well, so that is good news. Well, Mayweather and Paul went the distance. We'll take a break, we'll come back, we'll let you know who won next. This is Sporting Goss on a holiday Monday. Company. Tim Gossage with you on this holiday Monday. Don't forget, get across to the WAFL. Two games being played today, East Perth, West Perth and South Fremantle and East Fremantle. It's 18 away from the top of the hour. Hope you're enjoying your day. Richie Port, he took out the big one. He took out the leading to the Tour de France. In a moment, we'll hear from Matt Keenan. Here is Richie Port, who has become just the second Australian, I think, uh, to win the Dauphin. Uh, Phil Anderson was the first one to claim it back in 1985 and Richie Port is just the second Australian to take out an important lead-up to the Tour de France. Here he is, post-race. Uh, this race for me, you know, I've been second here twice and then I also lost uh, second place one year in the last kilometre as well. But uh, to finally win it, um, I'm just over the moon, you know. All the sacrifices, time away from my wife and two kids, you know, it's it's worth it. And this, this team, Ineos Grenadiers, are just absolutely brilliant today. Did you think of a possible bad scenario when you saw uh, Jack Haig giving it a go, Garrett crashing what was going on in your mind then no look i think i know the descent of the duplan well and you know we've done it many many times so you know i decided to uh, do my own pace and then when i saw g crash uh, you know it wasn't ideal i guess for the last six kilometers but he came back he's got some pretty bad road rash but he'll be uh, tip top for the tour and you'll be tip top for the tour i'm suppose you i suppose you must be very uh, satisfied and confident uh, in the shape you have yeah look i mean i'm under no illusions as to what my job is at the tour to win this race just means so so much to me you know it's it's a, a race i've always enjoyed and uh, to finally win it 36 years old it's a, a sweet moment there is there richie port who has taken out the dauphine and uh, well matt keenan from sps cycling uh, well, that sort of is a good reason to stay up to all hours and continue to uh, cover cycling on SBS. You must have been thrilled with that. He's the oldest winner of the Criterium Dauphiné, 36 years and 127 days. Yeah, it was an amazing performance by Rich, and you heard him talk about the fact that he's been close so many times and to finally get it. Well, I think one of the benefits for Richie is going back to the team that he used to ride for. It was previously Team Sky. He's clearly super comfortable there, and he went in not as their team leader. He just rode better than their team leader, Garant Thomas, who ended up finishing in third place. 
and we heard him talk about the last descent last night and the rivals to Richie, they tried to test him on the descent because he's had a couple of bad crashes on descents in the past. So they thought, let's see what his nerve is like. They couldn't get rid of him on the hill, so they tried to get rid of him on the way down. His teammates crashed, didn't rattle Richie at all. He managed to stick with them. And as you mentioned before, Tim, he became the second Aussie ever to win the race. Phil Anderson being the other one. And that was way back in 1985. And although there's no question who Australia's greatest ever road cyclist is, that is definitely Cadell Evans. He's our greatest three-week rider, the Tour de France, being one of those big grand tours. But for one-week races, Richie Port has the best CV in the history of Australian cycling. It goes a little unrecognised. But by the time he's retired and we get to reflect on his career, it's going to be one of the best amongst the Aussies. We're chatting with Matt Keenan after a great win overnight by Richie Port. Uh, Richie's, um, I'm assuming it's his wife, been very vocal on Twitter today on social media about the about the way we say his name with a T in it and it's Richard and not Richard with a T. Do we know where this has come from? Yeah, I think that's more targeted at the French commentary because they're based in Monaco, so they'll be watching the French television and they'll probably also be watching what's known as GCN Global Cycling Network and they're the British commentators and they might put a little bit of the T into it as opposed to, you know, we're a little bit more familiar with the Richie Benno-style pronunciation of his name. Richie himself wouldn't be too fast, but I think that, you know, Emma's, she's at home, she's watching her, her husband race and it's probably a bit like watching your kids play sport. It's more nerve-wracking watching somebody else do it that you really care about, that you really love, as opposed to trying to do it yourself. Matt Keenan, so where to now with the the cycling troupe? Of course, we, we know we're going to the Tour de France, but uh, give us the timings of all of this and what the teams are doing, what Richie Port will be doing in the next day or two. Well, Richie will go home for a bit of a rest and time at home with his wife and kids. Then he'll go to a training camp with the team, and that'll be at altitude for, I imagine, another week. The Tour de France starts on the 26th of July. Uh, sorry, 26th of June, I should say. So we're 19 days away from that starting. So there's not a lot he can do training-wise in terms of if you're in bad form now, you're in trouble leading up to the Tour. He'll just do a little bit of a top-up in terms of kilometres in the legs, a bit more intensity. Recovery is going to be the key part for him, particularly for his teammate, Garrett Thomas, who crashed yesterday. Uh, Richie can go into the Tour pretty relaxed. I was fascinated by the fact that he said, I'm under no illusion what my role is in the Tour, implying that he'll be working for Garrett Thomas, who won the race in 2018. Richie is still a chance, because we saw here in the Dauphiné, the team leader slipped away and Richie was number one. We saw across in the Giro d'Italia that the guy that finished in second position there, he went in as a team support rider, his team leader crashed and he ended up in second place. Richie can still be a factor in the tour and the pressure's off because he had this monkey on his back about, I need to show that I'm good enough, I need to finish on the podium. Last year he did, he got third place. This year he goes in not as the team leader but with a protected role and I genuinely believe he can go as well if not better than last year's third that is great news for richie port matt keenan of course from sbs cycling is with us as well were there any other australians in the dauphinate was there any other Australians? They were all over the result sheet. We had a brilliant performance by Aussies overnight. Throughout the eight stages, we ended up with three Aussies inside the top ten. We had wow. Jack Haig from Bendigo. He finished in fifth position overall. He was only four seconds away from finishing third. And then in eighth place, we had Ben O'Connor from WA and 
Ben has actually he signed a contract for a French team this year, and they weren't sure about his consistency at the end of last season. It was a new team for him. They gave him a one-year contract on a pretty small wage. They've had a look at him for about six months, and they realise they're onto a good wicket. They've signed him up for another three years. So he's going to be with that team until the end of 2024, and he'll go to the Tour de France as their team leader. And he can actually finish somewhere inside the top 10. He's a big hope to get excited about. So he had three inside the top 10. And then mm-hmm. in 16th position, we had Damien Housen from Adelaide. So from an Australian perspective, this is the most depth we've ever had in terms of guys who can handle the mountains. That is great news, Matt Keenan joining us. So, Matt, uh, in the lead-up to the Tour de France, we will get you and we will crystal ball the the event. We will get your uh, category winners. We'll get, you, we'll get the sprint winners. We'll get you the leading Aussie. We will try and get the yellow jersey. We'll crystal ball you. You can do your form guide, and I know you are Rightio. the best in the business. Okay, and we will no hold pressure. you. I'm feeling, the, I'm feeling the Richie well, Ford pressure of being well, the two. Oh, it'll be fun. That's exactly it'll be what fun. you're there and for. And hey, Tim, I'm happy to chat throughout the two with you as well. The Perth time zone it works well for me. I'll be commentating from from Sydney, and I'm loving the support that you're giving cycling as well. And across in WA, I think you're going to have a bit to talk about with your riders Ooh, in the race. Good on you, Matty. Matty Keenan joining us from SBS Thanks. Cycling. He's the best in the business. Ten away from midday. We'll get a break away. We'll come back. No result, really. No result in the Floyd Mayweather-Logan-Paul fight. I know. He went the distance. He made $20 bucks for going the distance. Um, I think his brother got on Twitter and said, my brother just beat Floyd Mayweather $50 million. I don't know what that all means, but anyway, uh, they got plenty of money out of it. It looked nothing like a bit of a hug and a kiss, and there's a few shots hit, the ones I've seen on social media. But apart from that, uh, it was just as expected. All pay-per-view. God, imagine having to buy the vision. Wow. 10 away from 12, this is Sporting Goss. Six away from midday, Tim Gossage with you with the Sporting Goss. We're here till the top of the hour. We'll be back on your radio tomorrow between 10 and 12. Don't forget, you can always download the podcast wherever good podcasts are found. You can get the whole Gillian Goss show this morning. Matthew Pavlich, Mike McKenna, of course, from Optus Stadium joined us as well. Uh, And we have got more in drive from 5 o'clock too with Peter Vlahos, sen.com.au or anywhere ever you get your podcast. From Gary Lyons spoke this morning on Gary and Tim on SEN Melbourne, of course, and asked him whether we've become a little bit too sensitive about some aspects of football commentary. Have we become too sensitive about um, this part of commentary around the no. games? Well, maybe, but sometimes with good reason. But that's why I think it's incumbent upon all of us as commentators to be constructive. And and that can be hard to hear if you're the subject of the critique, as long as it's not like, as long as it's not personal, like if you turn around and said, "Well, Max King is a cat because he's not having a go," mm. well, then you should be hauled over the coals. But if you're saying, "Listen, this is why it's important for Max to get the contest because he doesn't have to mark them; he just has to bring it to ground." And actually, in the last quarter, he was fantastic. And then you lord him, you lord Max for his efforts in the last quarter. So, no, I think I think you just got to make sure you call it as you see it. Try and be constructive and, you know, some people don't like it. That's fair enough. I know where you're coming from, Gary. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Wow. Really? Uh, Nathan Buckley. Um, No, let's go to Nathan. Let's go to... um 
Let's go to Dimmer. Let's go to, of course, Damien Hardwick. Talking about playing at the Dreamtime game at Optus Stadium and what it brings to the football and you never know what it might bring later in the year. Oh, it's one of the best stadiums in the country, absolutely. Um, you know, the crowd support we have here is absolutely phenomenal. Like the Tiger Army, we're very fortunate they follow us near and far and we had a terrific support here tonight again. And I've got no doubt when the uh, when the whips are cracking, the, the Tiger Army got behind us and, and helped us push over the line, which is really important. They were very, very loud indeed. David Teague, let's have it here from David Teague, of course, the coach of Carlton. He's under siege. Uh, it's disappointing. I thought we started the game well. I thought we cracked in, we turned up. We didn't make the most of our opportunities going forward. But having said that, I think the first half was our ability to score when we went inside 50 was, was strong. But as the game went on, they just beat us in the contest. They were harder, tougher, and then their ball use on the outside. We've, we've got some work to do. We've got a lot of work to do. Um, our decision-making, just the craft elements of, of being able to execute your role. Um, Sitting down on the bench stood out to me. That was probably the thing that stood out to me. When we had, had a good play, a good, good look, our ability to execute versus what West Coast did and other teams have done. So um, we're going we're to roll up sleeves and, and really crack in and, and work really hard. They've been training hard, but I think we've got to probably work even harder again and, and um, be really strategic in how we, how we get better. Ross Lyon said on radio that there was too much left to too few. Is that a fair comment? Did you have too many passengers today? Oh, we had too many players that didn't get their job done. We had too many players that didn't execute their their role or execute a skill um, at the right times. Um, and then we we got beaten the contest. And you can't leave. You can't win the contest over the whole field with with only a couple of guys. You you're right. You've Ross is right. We needed more guys to step up and crack in and compete. And um, West Coast beat us in that area convincingly. And was Nick Nick Nanui was obviously a big part of that though too. You couldn't quell his influence. No, I thought Nick was was outstanding for them, and I thought he's one of their better players. And his ability to uh, hit the ball, but then either win it himself and get the ball going forward, I thought he, um, yeah, he, he stood out from where I was sitting. Been pretty positive as a group in recent weeks about you. You push for finals still this year. Do you concede that's going to be an up, uphill battle now? Oh, it's absolutely an uphill battle. Um, take away the finals, the way we play. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be more about how we train, how we prepare, and how we execute. And um, yeah, right now we're not executing in the manner that you need to be able to do to to win AFL games of football. And the scoreboard's showing it. Like we're we're not good enough. We're we're not there, and we've got to get better. Thanks to Special K. Thank you to Alex who pushed the buttons. Podcasts are up. Gillian Goss, including the great story from Nick O'Reilly about the game being broadcast on in Arnhem Land. Mike McKenna, the full version of Pavlich. Also, also WA Derby stats as well. An interview with Dylan Mayne, Bill Monaghan, NRL. Sue Gordian, Matt Keenan up shortly. Have a good one. Catch you at 10 o'clock tomorrow on SEN Sporting Goss. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.